0: Closed or creative access countries uh, are any. Uh, are, are all of you familiar with what the definitions of those mean and and how we're looking? Let's let's sort of touch bases on that a little bit. Um, but closed countries are, are nations um, where it is nearly impossible for Americans, particularly. To be missionaries, and you never want to write on the visa, I'm a missionary. Because, or this is a mission team. Because immediately you will not get a visa in that country. Because it is not only, uh, sort of frowned upon to be a Christian or, or, uh, restricted in some ways, it is unlawful to be a Christian. In those countries. And so they're not looking. For what we call the M word. They're not looking for missionaries. To come. And so we were thinking. Tent makers. Even our long term people are. What we call tent makers. And, and that's a picture on the other side. Of, of China. Having a rice harvest. And so the fields are ripe. But. Those countries that are closed we find are either Muslim countries governed by the Muslim community with Sharia law or they are countries that are communist controlled and they govern the area. So if we look at what are these like, there are a number of things that we can, that we can look, look at. First of all, I'd like to sort of have us look at who has not heard. Are all of you familiar with the 1040 window? Have you ever heard of the 1040 window? So what we're talking about there is like 10% insulation and 40% reflection? No. What we're talking about when we talk about the 1040 window is northern latitude And it runs essentially, if I can put that light on, it runs essentially from, I don't think you're seeing that, but it runs essentially from the end of Africa, the northern portion of Africa, all the way across the continent. And there has been some changes made in the 1040 window recently, where countries uh, that are in the 1040 window, now I'm saying 10 degrees northern latitude to 40 degrees northern latitude that runs from the, the uh, top uh, northern aspect of Africa all the way across. And what we have done as we've looked at those, and what is critical about that from your standpoint, is that 80 or 68%, higher than 68% of those people groups in that area are unreached. That means they have no positive influence or they have never heard the gospel before. How many or what percent missionary dollars go to that group? Any idea? Now, this is 68%. Unreached people, less than 3% of the missionary dollars that are distributed go to the 1040 window. And besides that, 62% of the individuals residing in the 1040 window, okay, live in unreached groups. So there's large groups of people, and that is the preponderance of the poor. The people who do not have expenditures in health care. So that's, that is the look at the area that we're, that we're concerned about. I usually use as a little rule of thumb, think of the thing thumb. These are the people that, uh, that we're talking about. We have the tribal peoples. And those are often in northern uh, Africa, the tribal people. Then we talk of the Hindu population. We speak of the unreligious. When we speak of the unreligious, we think of like China. Does anyone know what the religion is in China? It's atheism. That is the national religion in China. So they're unreligious. Okay? Okay. And then we have the Muslim population, and we have the Buddhists. Am I in your way? Okay, I make a better door than a window, don't I? Anyhow, um, that's that is the group that we're talking about. But look at the healthcare divide. I'm looking at things now that all come together as to why it's great and it's optimal for us to move in that direction of closed or creative access countries. So what do we see? We see in those particular areas, what is the health care divide? And it's often related to, what is the expenditure per capita? And the lowest the expenditure, the greater the problem with immunizations. And in dentistry, it's even having dentists In that country, it is not unusual to see a country of over a million people with one dentist. And where are they going to be? In the capital cities or right after, you know, and it's not much different than our nation, really. I mean, we have a lot of problems in Appalachia where you can't make a practice work for yourself because they're either not coming to you. Or they don't have money to come to you, and dentistry costs. It's, there's no way you can sit down at the table with your stethoscope and blood pressure cuff and say, "Well, this—I set up my office. I'm ready to go." No, there's a lot of other things involved. So there's a great healthcare divide that that looks at Northern Africa and stretches across India, China goes into the Philippines, the new countries that, are, that have been put in to the 1040 window, nearby, but not, uh, not the country itself. So we have those. Now let's say, if, do you know anyone have an idea of how many dentists there are in the world? Dentists in the world. Come on, give me a guess. One million. It's estimated that we have one million dentists in the world. Now your next question is a little harder. How many people in the world? Seven billion with a B. So what does that mean when you're talking about the spread of dentists and dentistry in the world? First we have disproportionate placement. Correct? We have certain places there, there aren't too many dentists. There are many more people than there are dentists. And in the world, that would be sort of in the range of about 7,000 patients, a dentist, if we put them all out in the most ideal placement. But now we have some specialists. Everyone knows they're not too important, but let's take 20% of the specialists out. That's about what we have in dentistry. And that's wonderful. You know, why is it wonderful that we only have 20%? Medicine has many more percent. It's important because the general dentist is the gatekeeper. He's the one who refers to the specialist, the patients he wants. He takes care of the others. And that's why dentistry is one of the really preventive-oriented tremendous uh, potentiating health care provider. It is extending far beyond his office, all that, he, all that he does. So if we were to take that 20% off, we're now looking at 8,750 patients a dentist by putting dentists around the world. So is there a need? If we're going to go into the 1040 window, is there a need? Wow, I guess. That's a tremendous need. So people are looking to say, how can we get some of those particularly American dentists to come and help us? Many of those areas and countries have been 20 years or more away from Western education and culture. So Their training programs may even be way behind in what we experience in the United States. So having American dentists is huge, is a huge advantage. And so that's one of the things that is also in our favor. And we have already mentioned, we understand as dentists, that the socioeconomic status in the community or in the area, will largely determine what the situation is. So we have dentists get going to places where they can place uh, implants and, and, and have a full and complete practice, and that's good. But we know that the higher the income, the, the more visits per dentist that we see. The impact of poverty means what? And, and some of you have been in those situations and helped in clinics where poverty is a, is a serious problem. So that means fewer dental visits. That means fewer fillings, few, fewer restorations, more missing teeth, an increase in tobacco consumption, higher rates of oral cancer. Higher rates of caries, untreated, decayed, missing, and filled teeth, and higher rates of periodontal disease. So we see that as an impact of poverty, and that's what we see in the 1040 window. The dentists are not available. So there's a real socioeconomic key risk in that area that makes them need, want, and be concerned about oral disease, and most of those communities do not want to spend the money. They may not even have a dental school in that country. So it's, it's very uh, concerning. It's concerning for a number of reasons. There are very simple, proven, and essentially cheap ways of intervention with fluoridation, which these countries don't have. So we have some very sort of systematic disparities between countries and their oral health, which causes uh, very serious problems. Many times there's wells, and it's hard to give central fluoridation. But there is fluoridation with fluoridated salt. And these countries haven't even gotten to that point yet. So there's much work that, that can be done in that regard.
1: We also note
0: that these countries have the greatest Christian persecution. And you know how difficult it is. Number one on the watch list is always North Korea. North Korea has risen at way out of control. But Iraq, Eritrea, Afghanistan, Syria, Pakistan, Somalia, Sudan, Iran, Libya, Yemen, Nigeria, the Maldives, the, uh, also Saudi Arabia, Uzbekistan, and, and Kenya has made it up into that area of great uh, Christian persecution. So those are the countries where it often is extremely difficult to, to get into. But how does that relate then? Here is the 1040 window, outlined as we have, including the Philippines and a few of the other uh, countries there. Islam is a large part of, the, of that uh, demographic. And you can see where Hinduism, Buddhism, and then China with a large non religious group. But you know, there are more Christians in China than there are in the United States. Did you know that? Absolutely. And so our brothers and sisters are are there and thrilled when they can see a team come and, and help them. So let's take a look at some of the things that I think are so important for us. We would like, now I'm taking the assumption we would like to go into and a closed or creative access country. What do we need to know in order to get started? Well, the first thing we need to know is what is the physical environment of the country? Where would we go in that country to, to do our, our work? And then what about the cultural environment? Meaning what are the restrictions in the culture what would we have to do to go into that country and not uh, be an affront to their culture? And what's the spiritual involvement? How, what, what are the religions that are captivating the large number of people in that, in that country? And then we have to consider what is the health environment? What are the key diseases? What are the needs in terms of dental health? It's much, we're not as concerned as we are often in in areas where a number of teams go into Central America, for example. Because there you want to know, I I don't want to prepare to do exodontia if there's been 10 teams in this community. They need to start looking at General oral health, if they haven't already in great detail, they need to look at restorative dentistry and start to have an appreciation of those things. We don't want to come prepared for exodontia in an area where they've had a number of teams over the past years. So it's very important to understand where you're going. Also, what is your professional liaison going to be in there? What are the requirements? Do they register All teams that go in, do you have to send your credentials? Do you have to be approved by a group in order to go there? And so those ideas are very, very important. I do have some information I can send you, and I will leave a paper up here if you wish. I will send you a copy of the letter that I send out, sort of working with a national partner, an indigenous partner, and how do we get some of that information, which is critical if you're going to go into 1040 window or establish that? So we it, we want to establish, just like the Lord Jesus did, a person of peace, who is indigenous in that country, who is a pastor possibly, or is a pardon the expression M. It's a missionary in a closed country who is a tent maker but has a a great knowledge of the community. Maybe he is starting. He realizes that it's important. For instance, CMDA has over 700 long-term missionaries that are out on the field that are members of CMDA. And they may say, look, we're in Tunisia, and it would be great If we could get a team to join us, because we're looking to get credibility in our community. We're looking to use the team strategically so that we can help our neighbors and that they will realize that's why we're there. So but there are some other things that I'm going to be talking to you about that are very important The logistical support is important. Who's going to pick you up at the airport? Who's going to take you places? Who's going to find out where you can eat and have safe food and water? Who's going to work on the logistical support that you need? And who's going to give you an idea of project fees? What's it going to cost to bring a team there individually? Where are you going to stay? Is it going to be safe? Do you need security? All kinds of issues need to be sort of looked at. That's, that's sort of the important information. That's doing your homework. And that hasn't mentioned interpreters. You go to these countries and they're only Arabic speaking. How many of you speak Arabic? Well, oh, we got a problem here. Oh, there we go. You're dynamite. Sign her up. Ha, 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 ha. So, you know, we're, we're, we're at a loss for those issues that we need to fill in the voids if we're going. We need to have interpreters. So here we are. It's important to have an indigenous partner. When I say that, I mean a partner who is working with you, a partner of faith. Maybe it's a Christian a church in that in that area. Maybe it's a sort of tent maker, but someone who is on the ground in that area of community, it may be a tent maker and it may be a church planter, it may be a you know number of other kinds of things. But it's important to have them. And if you're thinking about going to the 1040 window, you're thinking about going to closed country or creative access, you need to begin praying about the group that you're going and feel led to, to visit and how you can prepare to do that. Selecting the group, asking the Lord for guidance and direction, opening the doors for obedience and faithfulness. That's the most important thing, opening the doors for obedience and faithfulness. So let's say we schedule a survey trip, which would be the next kind of thing. If we don't know, and there's a number of things we can do, there is a book called, and now it's all on internet and uh, so forth, it's called the Mission Handbook. Now if you look in this Mission Handbook, it says in the U.S. and Canada, Protestant missionaries overseas. Now, how is that helpful? Well, it's very helpful because you can look in here and find out when you're looking under countries how many missionaries from a particular organization are in that area. You can contact the main organization and say, you know, I'm interested in bringing a team into Vietnam or Afghanistan or wherever it is? And is there a way that you know whether some of your missionaries are ready or willing to be a partner for our team? So there is a, 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 an informational source that's out there that can be very important for you as you sort of do your planning. But ultimately, you're going to have to schedule a survey trip. You're going to have to get out there, and you're going to have to sort of see the countryside. You're going to have to look for the detail work that's needed to bring the team in. And that's what we do first. We run what we call a site visit. Now, if we can find ahead of time a missionary or a mission group that would like to have a team, and often that's the case, Then we'll be going out there to visit them, to see what their sort of statement of faith is, to see what they're doing, see what the Lord is doing there, to get a sense of the culture, to see all that's happening and how we might fit in, to see how they would use a team strategically. Very important, Uh, because we don't have unlimited resources. The Lord does. But... So far, we haven't been given unlimited resources in finances or in people, and we want to be used in the best way. So now we have, we found a potential partner to work with, and as we work with them, we want to sign a memorandum of understanding. And that's the second piece of material that I can get to you. What we use as a sort of a guideline or a memorandum of understanding. And I'll be happy to sort of you give me your email address. I'll send you the memorandum of understanding and the other information. But it's important because
1: they, they're going to want to know, what am I
0: going to have to do? And you, you explain it to them or tell them when you leave, well, it may or may not have been retained. And it's important for both of you to understand. This is is what we've committed to. This is going to be how we're going to work. And this is how we want to help you and that you can help us if we're coming. So that's what a memorandum of understanding is. Very, very important. Next, we want to develop the strategy with the partner of what will be done and what resources will be needed. What I say there is, Where are the people that you are ministering to? If you have only been in areas like Honduras or Nicaragua, Central America, and so forth, it's a whole different ballgame. It's an open country. Pastors can have daily vacation Bible school. They can have all kinds of activities that we can't have. So where are the people that we're ministering to? Let's say it's Afghanistan. What is the problem in Afghanistan? Americans are the great Satan. Well, that's a pretty big rock on the field of evangelism, I would say. You aren't going to get a cultivator on the field with a rock that big. So the first step is what? Get the rocks off the field. Right? And so how do you do that? The way that you do that is demonstrating the unconditional love of Christ to people that do not understand the Lord Jesus. And to show them that you are not... (laughs) the great Satan. And that may take some time. It's not going to happen in a half a week, and it's not going to happen maybe in a couple of years. But eventually, when we went to Afghanistan, by the third year, we were praying with Islamic believers in the name of Jesus. You know why? Because in the two years that preceded that, 80% of the NGOs closed up and left. Why did they close up and leave? It was too dangerous. And if we're going to go to closed and creative access countries, we've got to understand the calling to complete the Great Commission, and we've got to understand what is danger or what is security. So we need mature Christians. I often have people say to me, uh, yeah, but is it safe? And my answer is, is there any place that's safe? And my second comment is, is danger the presence of, of threats or is security the presence of the Lord? And if somebody says, I I, I don't know if I ought to go, my answer to this is, if you don't feel called, don't go. If you feel called to go, I'll never convince someone or try to convince them, you've got to go. I say, if you pray about it and the Lord has laid it on your heart to go, by all means go. If, if he hasn't laid that on your heart to go, don't go. But one thing I can say is security has to be defined as the presence of the Lord. We will do our part in terms of evaluating security None of us is willing to sign on hazardous duty. We are not the SEALs, but we are ready to be ambassadors for Christ in a country that doesn't know him and doesn't respect him. And if we're not willing to do that, then I think we've got to go back to church and start living like the songs we sing. I mean, there's something wrong there. And it takes a commitment, and it takes a responsible heart, because what is the gauge that the Lord Jesus uses on us for success? Obedience and faithfulness. That's it. You have to be obedient And you have to be faithful. He does not call you to win the game. He calls you to be obedient to his calling and found faithful in his eyes. That's his calling. So we're now developing a strategy with the partner of what will be done and how it will be. And we're understanding the culture because we want mature Christians. In China one year, we had, as a member of our team, a person who had left China 10 years ago who was a fourth-year medical student in the United States. And she was on fire for Jesus. And I said, look, please... None of you give anybody any printed material. Please. You know, if someone asks you something about your faith or anything, I feel free to give them whatever that Jesus sent you and that you're happy to be here and, and you just want to allow them to see the love and the compassion of, of Jesus or however you want to express it. wonderful. But don't give anybody anything. She, in a state of excitement, when questioned, gave a person a track. Just like that. They shut down the clinic. They brought me before the PSB, which is the Public Service Bureau. It's like the KGB. The black cars drove up with the black windows And uh, put me in there with my interpreter, and we went off to a meeting, and we were explained in no uncertain terms, this is the law. We have freedom of religion here. I said, oh, that's good. They said, we do never evangelize. It is against the law. We have freedom of religion because nobody evangelizes. And they gave me the copy of the law. Aliens like you cannot worship with our people. Aliens like you cannot share the gospel. And if you do, you will be expelled from our country. So, I mean, it was very clear. And I mentioned, I said, well, I just want you to know that everything that was done there is my fault. I said, The director of the hospital did not know about this. As soon as I found out with it, I I stopped and made sure the team understood. I said, it is not the responsibility of our national partner who likewise did not know. Do you see, you put everybody in jeopardy when something like that happens. They can close down the, the group that you're working with. They can ruin the entire career of the director of that hospital because he allowed someone in there that gave out a track. That's simple. They don't have problems with the number of people in China, not in terms of taking place of somebody else. That's just, you're gone. Zero tolerance. So it is so important for us to to sort of understand the complex situation, and we live by their laws. If we were to call the embassy, and there is a STEP program that I think anyone who travels with any team anywhere should have their team registered in this STEP program through our embassy in the USA. Exceedingly important that they know where you're going how many are on the team, and so that if there is a problem, you can contact the embassy and say, "Help. You know we 've got a problem and And uh, they 'll be amazing at trying to help you. but if you have broken the law, it 's your fault. You are responsible to know their laws. And you are responsible to keep them. And it's amazing that they will have public service bureau people watching your team. They may even come in as a patient and see if you are giving the gospel message to everybody you see. It is the job of your national partner to tell you. This is is the parameters we're going to work. When we're behind closed doors and our interpreters are there, they'll be a guide for you as to who you can share the gospel with and who you better watch out for and some other things. So it's very, very important to have that national partner to set the tone. And then we set up a resource team who will mobilize prayer and logistically support that is needed for your partner and for getting this underway. I think it's so important for us to realize that um, it is an important issue that I'm talking about here. And I want to sort of try and give you this in light of the indigenous partner's critical point of view. We want to know what his overall vision and objectives are so that we can fit into that and understand the culture and understand what we have to do. So the site visit, the security issues, the estimated budget are all part of that. The barriers to cross-cultural ministry and healthcare are very important. How How are they important? Well, let's say we're in the south-central portion of China, in the mountains, in a small village. And that we go in to care for someone, and he comes in with an enormous facial abscess, swelling, and infection. And you say to him, through your interpreter, you've got a bad infection. And we're gonna try and help you. We're gonna drain it and we're gonna put you on some antibiotics. Now you, you've told him what you're gonna do and that's sort of right. But what if he believes that he has not honored his ancestors? That he has not done what he should have done And pleased his ancestors. And therefore, he knows what the problem is. His ancestors got back at him, gave him a bad infection. And he's not going to take your medicine. Because he knows what the problem is. That's what he believes. Is that something important to know or not? Very important to know. But that is how culture intersects with healthcare, and how we have to understand where we are, what the belief system is, and how we can work in and through that kind of a difficult problem. And then we need to understand whether the physicians, the dentists, the pharmacists, the physical therapists, the nurses, need to register or not in that country. Because if, if they're supposed to register and they don't, it's possible that the Ministry of Health or, or whoever hears about it could come in and shut you right down. Say, I'm sorry, you, you, can't, even, you can't do anything here. We don't even know if you're qualified. And unfortunately, in many countries... Teams have come in, and they have been unqualified. They have either students doing work that they should not be doing because they have not been trained to do it. They come in, and there is no follow-up of patients afterwards if someone has a severe infection. They do not come in with proper dated medications. The, some are outdated. Some are medications which are improper for that area. They are not knowledgeable in, in the care of the, the patients that they need to be caring for. And so we, we are somewhat responsible for that. So we need to practice best practices so that someone says, you know, that's a Christian team. You, you can't. They said, you know, that's the only team we've had that's come here. That's been right on target. They have sent us all the material ahead of time. They have registered all their doctors. All their formulary is right on target. Because we carry a banner. It's not the flag of the United States, it's the banner of Christ, of excellence, of truthfulness of honesty, so that when we're questioned by the KGB or the PSP, it's the truth. Because they often don't ask you questions unless they know the answers. So you're not fooling anybody. You better be right on. And then, of course, we want to know the size of the team for logistical situations. We want to understand what the experience of the team is. I mean, if we're bringing medical and dental, we want to know whether OB is needed or whether we need to do family medicine or whether, you know, and we want to know about the dental team. Do they need a surgeon? Do they need just restorative people? How how are we doing and what, what are we talking about here? And then we need lodging and safe food and water. We want to keep the team pumped up and and ready to go for the full time that we're there, and that requires that. And so those kind of issues are are very important. Now, some special points. Select mature Christians. This is not a a game where it's a training ground. In global health outreach, um, we have a training ground, Central America. It's an open country. Get used to missions. Know what you ought to bring. Know how to live on the mission field. Know those kind of things. But when you're here, it's a different ballgame. You have to be mature enough to understand the culture, the, the problems that you could get involved in. Really mature Christians are very, very important. And we say seasoned Christians under fire. So we need to explain to the team what their mission is so that they understand. I mean, there's nothing like going in some place and your national partners have said, look, here's the way. Don't the, the people what we're dealing with, they're not ready to hear the gospel. What they're ready to do is to see the gospel. They're ready to see people that love them, that are called to care for them. And that are disciples of Jesus. They're ready to see the deal. They're not ready to buy the deal. You've gotta, you've gotta understand where the situation is. And then it's important you not wear your shirts in the airport. You know, they're not looking for a team full of shirts and, and oh yeah, I'm here from the, you know, sometimes we have to send people in a little bit at a time and separate them, and have them dress more plainly because of the problems that we understand are with customs and immigration and the fact that they don't want a team there. In certain places in China, it's the local community of uh, governmental authorities that want us there. But the national government sure doesn't want us there. (laughs) So when we go through customs, we may have a letter of invitation from our local partners that help us. Very important. Uh, When we go to Jordan, it's very important that we have something written in Arabic because most of the customs agents don't speak English. So if you come in with a piece of paper and say well this you know it has this seal on it and it's been it doesn't mean anything to them they look at you like what you know so you have that letter in Arabic all of a sudden and it tells them call this number if you have any questions what happens they speak to the pastor of the evangelical church in Jordan and he says hey this is a group that's coming to help our church members and you know, so forth. So it's a very important thing that you've sort of ironed out, you've gone around the details, you've made it easier in that that area. And you know the security issues. You know in Jordan there are some people who are sympathizers with ISIS. So it's important to understand what you're doing. So let me sort of quickly say that there's special points that we have to deal with, and the special points deal with entry into the country, things we might not expect, like the visa details of what you can write down and what you need to say and don't say uh, about being a mission group or a mission team or, a, you know, and, and how is it worded, for your visa, do you go as a business visa? Is it a tourist visa? All those kind of little issues, very important, and a customs letter that the medications that you're giving are given as a donation from the American people to the people in the Republic of China or wherever you're going so that you have some documentation um, and, and that your credentials are not only submitted early if needed, but that you have a copy of everybody's credentials when you go. So that if you're stopped, if you're, pardon the expression, raided by some of the KGB or some other group, you have all the credentials that you need to sort of keep that clinic open. And then the unexpected. And some of the unexpected can be an interview out of the clear blue in China from a newspaper that comes to you when you're getting off the train. You never know what's going to happen. So you need to be sort of thinking ahead, planning ahead, and understanding, well, what what do I say? Oh, yeah, we're a Christian group that's come. Okay. Anyhow, Security problems exist, rules and regulations have to be kept, and there's the general oversight in view. Let me just bring that to light and how some of these things can work. For example, in Vietnam, a communist-controlled country, we have gone to Hanoi, Vietnam for many years, and this is the Institute of Odonto-Stomatology and Maxillofacial Surgery in Hanoi two areas in the country that train dentists Ho Chi Minh City and Hanoi that's all that's where all the dental training is so we are at Hanoi the communist capital and Beginning when I first came there, my desire was to work on children with cleft lip and cleft palate deformities because I, I just love them. <laughs> I don't care uh, what uh, nationality or what area they come from. I feel so badly that those things have happened. And in, in Vietnam, they believe that these children have been touched by the devil. And it's a very scary thing. How important are national partners? Without an indigenous national partner, you're dead in the water. That's how important. We worked with CAMA Services, Christian Missionary Alliance in Vietnam. They took time to get patients to the hospital when we were there. They said to these people who were unbelieving, God has sent this group of people, behind closed doors they're talking, to care for your children. And we're going to help you get there. Some of them came 600 miles, 500 miles, a long distance. And maybe their only chance to have these kind of repairs. Many of the people in the residency program there did not have uh, bone plates, reconstructive surgery. They, they were not ready and really what we would call 100% uh, maxillofacial plastic program. So we we'd had to do a, a lot of training in the operating room uh, with them. We found out that we not only had to do training in the operating room with them, but it required a lot of anesthesia training as well. So we brought anesthesiologists to work with their anesthesia people because that was the need we saw. And what is the best way to share the gospel? Relationships. Relationships still are the best way to share the gospel. So here's developing relationships in in throughout the whole staff now an orthodontist. We realized an orthodontist needs to come if we're going to continue a surgical program. What about orthognathics? What about growth and development? Who takes care of the cleft lip and cleft palate patients with edgewise technique and opening spaces and getting the... It's the orthodontist. So we need that. So we brought in orthodontists to, to help train in their orthodontic program. So that was the next step. How about restorative dentistry? We brought restorative dentists in because they were so far off base in restorative that, I mean, we had just a difficult time and we said, hey, and these are teachers that are so interested in what the restorative dentists are doing. Unbelievable. So, restorative, endodontics. I mean, this spread through the, the school of odontostomatology like, like fire. I mean, they were just excited for the time that we were there and the lectures. And most of the children that we saw were uh, difficult cases. Uh, many had been left until uh, later years. None of the nasal deformities were taken care of at, at the right time. So they needed a little help in that regard in terms of trying to do the nose at the same time we did the lip. Because many of these children would not come back and if you set the cartilage in the right area in the nose then their growth and development is without deformity because you've corrected it early when you've done the the lip. And uh so This was very important. And then the national partner, the most important, they would go back and see the family after the surgery was done, when they were healing, to see how they were doing, pray with them, and share the gospel behind closed doors. Thousands of families came to know the Lord Jesus but without that, it would have been impossible. So many of these children you see have tremendous defects. Uh, we also, I met Long when he was there. They had told me they were going to try and do a biopsy. They wanted me to take a look at him. This deformity occurred in six months. It's a rapidly aggressive fibrosis lesion that uh, was biopsied, he had the hemoglobin. Look at him, he's very pale. If I showed you the whites of his eyes, his hemoglobin was below 7. Very, very difficult case. I just was in prayer the whole time we were there, and so was the team about where we should go uh, with this. If I waited any longer, he would probably not be alive. That's, That's the real deal. Uh, he and I went and did ward rounds together every day. Uh, we didn't speak a word or a lick of Vietnamese together. We only spoke one language, and that was love. And every day he would wait for me to go around and, and uh, do, do ward rounds. But I decided to do that and use reconstructive bone plates because of the extensive bone loss and uh, reconstructed his lower jaw with that, and then ultimately we're going to do a uh, uh, fibula bone graft to the lower jaw that will replace the reconstructing plate and reconstruct his condyle with a costochondral graft from his um, ribs. But at any rate, Lyme was uh, a great Guy. I mean, I, I came in the next day to see him, and I said, "Hey, how we doing? You ready to go?" For and he didn't hear a word I said. You know, he just here I am. He said, "Are we gone?" And uh, I had a tray in for him, did the thing. But one thing did happen with Lon is one year later, I was coming out of the OR, and I heard him scream. And he just came running to see me, a great friend, uh, a little guy who, by the grace of God, my, my only prayer was, I cannot lose a lot of blood with this little guy. You know, he's not just a little adult. His hemoglobin is so low, the, the blood uh, availability was almost nonexistent. And not good. And so, praise Jesus that, you know, I I didn't have to do the surgery myself. And I did none of the healing. So I can tell you, we treat, but Jesus heals. And uh, Lon is still a great great buddy, great friend. And uh, getting ready for further grafts, we have opened up the opportunity of doing a lot of uh, difficult cases by taking that uh, graft, that uh, fibula graft from the leg, and and then actually putting it into with an island to tell if the graft is is functioning. That's the blood supply because we just hook it up to the the facial artery and, and vein, and we get our blood supply from that, and then as long as that flap is healthy, so is the blood supply to the to the fibula. So uh, that's the the way that we do it. And then ultimately, we'll we'll get that out of there, that little island, and close it down, and and the blood supply to the graft will be will be fine. We used to make ward rounds, and it was so important that they understood. Uh, you know, why we were there. But I thought one of the interesting things was when we were doing that, we also spent a day of training and talking to them and lecturing. When I was there the first time, I got a tap on my shoulder. A a Ph.D., M.D., who is the head of the program there, said to me, are you a Christian? And I asked him, I said, why, why do you ask? He said, you know, I've been watching you all through the weekend He said, and, and through your surgeries. He said, you always take your interpreter out and talk to the family after the surgeries. He said, we don't do that unless something goes wrong. He said, and I noticed all weekend that you were, came in to see all the patients, all the cleft patients and all the families and everything. He said, we, we don't do that. We don't come in on weekends. I thought that was very interesting. He was a Hindu, and he said, uh, I just thought you might be a Christian. So that led to us meeting the uh, director. Of thing. Afghanistan is another country of, of tremendous need. There they are showing their cards, their voting cards, the The leaders in the country—an entirely different dress is now appropriate, if we don't want to interfere with their life and their understanding. This this is our team, and whether we're dealing uh, with—let me get that going—and whether we're dealing—this is one of our docs. So you see how she's dressed. And, and how to see the girls in school, to, to see them having fun for the first time, to teach them oral hygiene, that's so important. So many times we go and we serve and we do things, but do we ever teach them oral hygiene? Do we explain to them what's important? Do we say, use a toothpaste and brush your teeth, but don't rinse? You're rinsing away all the good that you put on your teeth. Just brush your teeth and go to bed. you know it's so important we We teach them and and help them and encourage them to do some of the things that they can do and so uh, we were there to to help them to encourage them to talk to them but i'm I'm telling you about our view. This is one of the dentists that we had on our team, and I told her. Don't take, just take a picture, make a friend. Here she is. Do you think she's making a friend? She's taking a picture and showing a digital picture to these Afghan ladies that have never, ever seen their picture. So it is so important. We were training people to be healthcare workers and in the community, in doing oral health and and medical health and their communities, which was so important. And the women, of course, stayed in one area, and the men, of course, came in another area. But if we didn't have women physicians and dentists, would the women come with their children? No. That culture is not one which will bring children or allow women to come to a clinic unless you have women there. Very important, isn't it? Really, that's how, that's how important it is to have ladies in the midst of the battle. And many children had lost limbs because of uh, landmines and coming and helping them and giving them a wheelchair was a key kind of thing for them. But the men, they all stood and or sit and waited for their appointments, but not where the ladies were. An entirely different, an entirely different group. And they were all ready to come. But we did go one place, and I just want to share this with you. We did go one place where no one showed up. Not one person to the clinic. And I said to my interpreter, Wachil, I said, Wachil, we're at an internally displaced persons camp. The need is tremendous. We're trying to, you know, train docs to make a medical center, a little clinic for them. And nobody's showing up. What's the deal? And he said to me, I think the imam has told him, told the people, don't show up. These people are Christians. So I said to Waqil, can we go out and find him? And he looked at me like he often did when I said something. You have got to be crazy, man. Anyhow, we did go out and we looked for him. And Mohammed Khan found us. And he said to me, I hear you're looking for me. And I said, yes, uh, we've been looking all over. He said, you're an American. I said, yes. He said, are you a Christian? I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. He said, I know of Jesus. And I said, what do you know of Jesus? Jesus. He said, he is a prophet. And I said, what is a prophet in your eyes? He said, a prophet is someone who speaks the word of God. And I said, that is, I can't disagree with you there. And he said to me, but you're an American. He said, and you're also a Christian. Fifty percent of your marriages end in divorce. You've killed over 50 million unborn babies. All the pornography in our country came from your country. All the X-rated films came from your country. If that's what religious freedom brings, and that's what liberty has to offer, I don't want it for my people what would you say? What would you say? I said, I have a team I have brought from the United States, and I can guarantee you that those words hurt their hearts as much as they hurt yours. I said, they have come to demonstrate to you in a very real way the love and the compassion of the Lord Jesus. That's still what we want to do. I said, I wish I could tell you that everything you said was wrong. It's not. In fact, I'm very concerned that we do not live in a Christian nation anymore. And he said to me, So what should I do? I said, give us an opportunity to show you what we came for. And he said, I'll think about that. But by the afternoon, he came by. Every year that I have gone to Afghanistan, we have met. We have talked. And it has been an enlightening and encouraging experience. Because this man, I believe, is a seeker. And we talked about eternal salvation. And we talked about the Trinity. And we've talked about a lot. But it's so important, those relationships and the opportunities that we have when we go internationally and serve the Lord. It's great to see women at at a lecture that that you're giving in Afghanistan because we've also been at Cure Hospital and done surgeries. But ultimately, the women at the well, we pray, will come to know Jesus, just as Jesus was there with with them and showed himself as the Savior. I hope you folks will have a great opportunity to go into Areas of the world in closed and restricted entry countries, do your homework, a lot of which is prayer. Select your teams well and be ready to honor the Lord Jesus as you carry that banner. We're running late, but is there any one of you that have any, um, anything to question? Answer. If if you would like any of the extra information, feel free to put your email address. I'll be happy to send that to you. But thank you so much. You're a blessing.